tell you how this works. Um, for the past 10 weeks, we've been talking about the 10 commandments, and we finished that last week. And so I didn't tell Bill what I was going to be preaching on today. And so Jason asked Bill what they're preaching on, and Bill says, I don't know. Uh, just sing what God leads us in. That's pretty much the conversation. And did you look at the cover of your bulletin? And did you hear what Jason just said? One of the lines in the song, may the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. Jason, there are footprints on the have you seen the bulletin yet? There are footprints on the front of the bulletin. So God led Jason to do that and I appreciate that. He had no idea. Francis, Francisco Roma of Buenos Aires in Argentina murdered her two young children because her boyfriend wanted her and not her children. So she took care of them. In an effort to get away with the crime, she stabbed them, and she stabbed herself. And then when the police came, she told them that a nearby rancher named Velasquez was the culprit. So Velasquez was arrested immediately, denied any wrongdoing, well, they didn't do it. And the police found out he had an airtight alibi. So an Argentine police officer named Juan Volatek had been experimenting with a new technology to help identify criminals, fingerprints. The year was 1891. And Francisca Rojas became the first person in history to be convicted of a crime based on fingerprint identification. There are over 7 billion of us on the planet. 7 billion. And our fingerprints are unique. We all leave behind a distinctive mark. So today we're going to talk about leaving the mark behind us. The legacy behind us. What you just saying about our spiritual fingerprints, our lasting impressions. Before we do that, let's pray to God. Father, we will leave lasting impressions for the good or for the bad. Help us to leave them. Help the footprints that we leave, the fingerprints that we leave, the stories that we leave, call to lead others to believe. Help them to point folks towards you. As parents, help us, if, if we're parents in this room, help us with our children, our stepchildren, to be who we ought to be, our in-law children. Aunts, uncles, grandparents, neighbors, help us to be people of influence for the good. In Jesus' name, amen. John Getty was a Canadian missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, beginning in 1848. The people, basically, when he got there, were cannibals and warriors. His journal from February the 9th, 1849, tells us this, he wrote, In the darkness, degradation, pollution, and misery that surrounds me, I look forward in faith to the time when some of these poor islanders will unite in triumphant song and ransom soul. And there was a revival. John Getty died just before Christmas, 1872. 
and a plaque was installed in the church behind the pulpit where he stood that he founded on the island. And the plaque in part reads, in memory of John Getty, born in Scotland, 1815, minister in Prince Edward Island seven years, missionary sent from Nova Scotia to Antietam for 24 years. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. Isn't that a great tribute? When he landed, there were no Christians. And when he left, there were no heathen. In 24 years. Talk about a lasting impression. Do you have stories that you tell of generations before you? Do you tell stories about your parents? Anybody tell stories fairly regularly at a reunion, maybe about your parents? Tell stories about your grandparents, some of you. Anybody new and tell any stories about their great-grandparents? Wow. Anybody else? Anybody have great-great-grandparents stories? Good night. How far can you go back? <coughs> Eleanor has, Eleanor goes, she did great-great. You go beyond that? Yes. How far? That's fascinating. Anybody go over 300 years? You win the prize today. That is impressive. I'm going to see you after church. <laughs> the story I'm about to tell you, however, top sellers. This is a story that has been told for 2,000 years. And it's quite impressive. It's a, it's a familiar story. John tells it in chapter 12. Matthew tells it in chapter 26. Let's look at how Mark tells it in chapter 14. It was two days, it's Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 9. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival, or they may be a riot among the people. So we're not far from while he was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii in the money given to that was a year's wages. So take what you make in a year, put it in a jar, and pour it out. It was a lot. They stole her. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you'll not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Talk about a spiritual fingerprint. 2,000 years later, here we are talking about this woman. 
Jesus said we would. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. John tells us in chapter 12 in his gospel in verse 3 that this is no other than Mary, Martha's sister, Lazarus' sister. So why did Mary do what she did? Well, she loved Jesus. And if we could define her into a category, she was a giver. The Bible's a book on giving, isn't it? It tells how God gave us life, our world, home in the garden. He gave us a promise of redemption. He gave us a Messiah. He's given us his son. So we should be a fellowship of givers. It's important. And Jesus had brought her brother back to the dead. That's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? You'd want to do something in return if you could for that. He restored her friend Simon the leper, who he's not a leper anymore, he's hosting a party, so he's Simon the ex-leper. Some think maybe he was a relative to Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus had treated Mary with great dignity and respect, and he shared with her about the kingdom of God. So she wanted to give Jesus something just to let him know how much she loved him. But I love what Jesus said in verse 8. She has done what she could. That's exactly what Jesus wants out of each and every one of us. To do what you can. When Mary anointed Jesus, she wasn't looking for a place in the spotlight. She wasn't trying to win the applause of a crowd. She did it because she just loved God. That act of love has made her immortal. She has a permanent place in history because she was a giver. We tend to remember givers, don't we? You have people in your life that were so very special that gave and helped you. Some of you know the name Tom Lowry. I talked to Tom this week. Tom is going through treatment for cancer. He's in remission. Some funny numbers popped up at Emory, and I think they've got it under control. He's okay. But when I think of Tom Lowry, I think about him being our minister of youth here for a little while. How he put up with us. And he changed my life because he gave me his time and his love. And it's important to me. He did what he could. I think of so many others that have left a, left a lasting impression on my life. People that did what they could. Jeannie will smile when I tell you about my friend in Mississippi named Joe Locke. She's in heaven now. I call her Miss Joe. I was minister of youth at a church in Aberdeen, Mississippi, and she adopted me. She washed my clothes, and she fed me, and when Jeannie would come to visit, Jeannie would stay with Joe Logans. And she showed me godly love and changed my life. Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing extraordinary, but she did what she could. And doing what you could to somebody in need Doing what you can to somebody and they changes their world. Givers do that, they change the world. But there are others who don't give. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 to 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money, so he began to look for an opportunity 
Talk about a fingerprint now. He betrayed Jesus. And he was a painter. You don't find a lot of people, even 2,000 years later, naming their children Judas, do you? It just doesn't happen. We talked about Jezebel last week. You just don't name your daughter Jezebel. It just doesn't happen. It kind of just ruins the name for generations. I remember some nephews of mine years ago, when you have to leave your name in a restaurant, would leave wrong names. And they thought it was real funny to leave the name Adolf one time. And so, table for Adolf. And they got a lot of looks and a lot of, you don't name the kid Adolf. It just doesn't seem to happen. Their name is just ruined for time because of the memory we have in the fingerprint of people left behind. When you talk about naming, if you're, if you're expecting, and you talk about naming a child, I've had people tell me this. Somebody will come up with a name, and no, we can't name him that. I used to date a boy named that. No, we can't name him that. I used to date a girl. Have you ever heard that conversation? You can't do it. It's ruined the name for all time. Proverbs 10, verse 7, says it better than I can. You ever seen this one before? The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. That is true. The name of the wicked will rot, and 2,000 years later, we're bragging on Mary. 2,000 years later. I'm often called upon to do funerals of people I do not know. Because of my friend Morris Moore sitting back in the corner over there. And so Morris will call me a lot of times when families don't have a minister. And so I will go meet with them and I take my little notepad and I ask them questions. And I become a detective. And the number one question I want to know is were they a believer? Did they have a connection with Jesus? What did they do with Jesus? That's the first connection, the first question, or the question that, that matters most. And sometimes, and it was recently, I had a family tell me it was wonderful. They said, David, we want you to glorify God in the service because we know that Ron loved God and had a connection to him, and we want you to really talk about that. It was such a good experience for me when I worked with a family like that. Sometimes, they tell me about the connection. And then other times it's very painful and it's very difficult when they tell me about their loved one and they say, you know, he loved dogs. Kind of hard. He loved chocolate. He liked imported beer. I, I got that one one time. They loved to ski. And you get that and you think, well, what do you do? To what kind of lasting impression are these people leaving? The memory of the righteous is a blessing. But the name of the wicked will rot. So how do you want to be remembered? What kind of lasting impression are you leaving? And as I ask the question, and look around the room, there's some people in here that have really already left the last big impression. And you're still around, bless you. You've done such a wonderful job. And when you 
let your light shine before men that see your good works and they give glory to God in heaven. I don't want to embarrass her too much, but my new friend Francis uh, lives right next door in the city. And Francis and her husband, uh, he was a, a physician, he's in heaven now, were missionaries for the Wycliffe Bible translators in Peru. I got that right so far? In Peru. And Francis is now retired and just moved in here. And she wanted a room on this side of that building. And she looks through her window at the front doors of our church. And I asked her this week, visiting with her, you just pray for that church when you see it. And I just love the impression that Francis has left of me of a godly family that has helped change the world. And there's a lot of you in this room. Thank you for making a difference. And be aware that you need a blind man was once seen walking down the sidewalk at night, which to them would be no big deal. But this would have a flashlight. A blind man with a flashlight at night. Would you be inquisitive if you saw that? So a man went to him and asked, Fella, of all people, why do you need a light? And he gave a brilliant answer. He said, I don't want anybody to stumble because of me. Isn't that good? I don't want anybody to stumble to talk with me. I hope we can all say the same thing. Tom Lowry, I wrote him years ago a letter to let him know I'm praying for him every week. I do. And in the letter, I said, is there anything specific that you want me to pray for or about? And this was probably after he'd been diagnosed with cancer. And Tom wrote a note back to me and said, David, pray that I finish well. Pray that I finish well. He didn't want to cause anybody to stumble. He wanted the footprints that he left to cause others to believe. I hope that's